Welcome to today's message from Transformation Church. When I was in seminary, uh, about 10 years ago, I graduated from seminary. I, I did things very late. And so um, I went to seminary. One of our professors, he told us this story about receiving an essay from a student. Now, this is an Assemblies of God school, and this is an Assemblies of God professor, and we're in an Assemblies of God church. And um, uh, this, this kid came from an Assemblies of God church and an Assemblies of God home, and he was at Bible college, and he had to do an essay. And so the essay started out, the first line of the essay was, in the year 0000, on December 25th, Mary and Joseph Christ had a baby named Jesus. And the professor took a red pen and he circled it several times. And then he wrote in the margin, this is scary. Why is it scary? Well, number one, Joseph and Mary's last name was not Christ, okay? And we don't believe he was born on December 25th, and it wasn't the year 0000. And the student came back and, and I guess didn't check with anybody else, went back and said to the professor, well, what's wrong with that, you know? And we've been talking about biblical illiteracy and the, and the need to, to, to know God's Word. And I was talking to one of my grandchildren the other day, and I was like kind of shocked. I asked them uh, just a basic Bible question, um, you know, what was Methuselah's middle name or something, and just a basic Bible question, or how to spell it backwards, and they didn't know the answer. And I got very concerned because we need to know God's Word, and we need to have it in our hearts, and we need to be able to recall it and remind ourselves of it. <coughs> Recently, I spoke on three major, um, three major aspects of Pentecostalism. I identified 12 of them in my seminary years, and uh, I talked about three major aspects of Pentecostalism, which were fundamental to starting this global movement, which now encompasses 10% of the world's population claims to be Pentecostal in some way or form. 10%. That would be over 700 million, maybe 800 million, depending on, okay? And I said there were three things that, 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 that characterized Pentecostalism. Number, number one was the second coming of Christ. We believe that Jesus Christ is coming again. We believe we're living at the end of the age. Remember, it was in 1906 that the Azusa Street Revival began. And do you remember that it was in 1906 that it began? And what other thing took place in 1906 in California? The earthquake. And they said, see that? Look at that. That's signs. Look at that. This great revival and this earthquake coming at the same time. And it was horrific. I mean, what took place in San Francisco was absolutely, today, the, 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 if we were to have a similar earthquake, it, the, the effects of it would, would literally affect millions and millions of people because of the concentration. And, and, and the second coming of Christ. And then, of course, Holy Spirit baptism. Holy Spirit baptism. Here people were becoming spirit-filled. They were, they were being filled with Holy Spirit, and, and there was great signs and wonders, and that was the second characteristic of early Pentecostalism. And the third characteristic of early Pentecostalism was global evangelization, getting out and telling others about Jesus. So, so one, was the, one was the impetus in that it provided the emergy, the, the, the emergency rather, which is Jesus is coming. We've got to get out and get the message. The other one, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, Spirit provided the power, and number three, global evangelism was the message. That's what we had to get out and tell. We had to tell others about Jesus. But Pentecostals weren't just people that were kind of, um, just kind of filled with a lot of zeal. One of the things we early, we early learned was that Pentecostals were people of the book. 
We were Bible people. We discovered that a major part of the Bible had been ignored by others and ignored by the church for many, many years. And so we we rediscovered the Bible. We rediscovered the book of Acts. We rediscovered the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We rediscovered that that Acts 2 and 38 says that the, the promise is for you and for the children and for the children's children and all who are afar off to as many as the Lord God would call. We rediscovered that. And we said, that's for us. That's for us today. We were people of the book. Now, we were often criticized as being light theologically. We weren't, you know, we were just kind of a lot of exuberance and a lot of, but I'm telling you, folks, you want to look at uh, 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 the history of Pentecostalism, and you'll find that we are p- people of the book. One of the great stories of early Pentecostalism is the story of a lady by the name of Agnes Osmond, and she went to Charles Fox's Parham's uh, Bethel Bible College in Topeka, Kansas. It was a short-term Bible college. And the students over the Christmas break were challenged to, uh, by Parham to study the Bible to determine what was the evidence of Holy Spirit baptism. How do we know if someone is Holy Spirit baptized? She studied and found that people were Holy Spirit baptized in the New Testament, always spoke in tongues. That's what she discovered. They they spoke in a language that they never learned or studied. And so it was on New Year's Day in 1901 that she received Holy Spirit baptism. Now, she is considered to be the first in the modern era when people were Holy Spirit baptized in the way that we understand it. Now, let me make clear, that's not exactly the truth, because there was never a time when people were not speaking in tongues. People from a, a Roman Catholic background will know the, the term, the Walbagensians and the Albigensians. Well, they, they were Catholic groups, and they were Holy Spirit. It, people from the, the Protestant tradition know about the Anabaptists. There were, there were Anabaptists who were Holy Spirit baptized. There were people all through history that were Holy Spirit baptized. But suffice it to say, she was the one that everybody kind of, kind of gravitated around because she was in this Bible college, and, and she was challenged by Parham, and she is considered to be the first person to speak in tongues, and her experience sparked the modern Pentecostal holiness movement. And this happened because she was a, in Bible school, and she was a person of the book, and that's why that's important, and it was Charles Parham who challenged her to get into the book. The people, the Pentecostal people are people of the book. We believe in the book. We believe in the Bible. We believe it's important to study God's Word. We believe that there's a revelation of God. And we believe, the, as people of the Spirit, we believe that the Holy Spirit is not confined to Acts chapter 2 or some uh, uh, obscure passages maybe from, from Paul, but we believe the Holy Spirit is there. He was there at creation. The Scripture says the Spirit moved over the face of the deep. And so the, the Spirit of God, and you take your, you take your pencil and as you go through the, the Scriptures, write HS every time you, you, you see a reference to Holy Spirit, and you'll be surprised over and over and over again, Holy Spirit is mentioned in the Scripture. In the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, He's mentioned repeatedly. 
He's the one that inspired the building of the temple in the, in, or the tabernacle in the wilderness and, and eventually the temple. And he actually gave, he actually gave the gifts to the people. And if I could pronounce those two guys' names, I would. The two gentlemen who the Holy Spirit empowered with great ability, and they actually not only were empowered with great ability to do it themselves, they were also empowered with a teaching gift, and they taught others to do it too. And you see Holy Spirit through all of Scripture. And so as Pentecostals, we are people of the book. Now let me illustrate this to you by showing you the logo of the Assemblies of God between 1914 and 2014. For 100 years, this was our logo. Well, you see Assemblies of God, and you see A.G., but then you see on the top left-hand corner this open book standing for the Bible, and you'll notice what it says there, which really irritated people who weren't Pentecostals because they saw us as being arrogant. It says what? All the gospel. We used to use a term in Pentecostalism called full gospel. We were a full gospel church. My mother says it's the reference to my body type. I'm a full gospel preacher. And, um, but you know what? That was there when we first began. Why was that there? Because we wanted to show that we weren't just people of experience or people of some sort of fanaticism, that what we had we based on the book. The book is important, and it needs to be important in our lives. I want to talk to you about the importance of praying the Bible. When our son was uh, about 12 or 13 years old, he came to me at, in the fall of the year and he said, Dad, 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 you, you want to know what I want for Christmas? And it made me nervous. I bring in to you know, break out into a cold sweat. And there's not a whole lot you can do with $5. And, and, and so I, I did. I said, well, 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 yeah, sure, son. Well, what do you want for Christmas? And, 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 and he said, I, I tell you what I want, Dad. I want one of those Bibles with my name on it. I want one of those Bibles with my name on it. Oh, because as a pastor, you know, people leave their Bibles at church all the time. I mean, I can get them a Bible. That's no problem. I get them a Sharpie. I write his name on that baby and put that in a little box, put that under the tree. He's got himself a Bible. He's happy. I'm happy. Jesus is happy. Everybody's happy. How many know that it was something I wanted to give him? He didn't ask me for an AK-47 so he could shoot up the high school. He did not ask me for a case of beer or a subscription to Playboy magazine. He asked me for something that I as a father would love to give him. And so because I loved to give it to him, it was easy for me to make sure that he got a Bible with his name on it. You know what? You have a heavenly father who loves you, who loves to give good gifts to his children. He wants to bless you. You're his child. He loves to bless his children, but sometimes we desire things that, that do not line up with his will. And of course, James says what? When you ask, do not, and do not receive, it's because you ask with the wrong motives. The, the things for which you're asking and the reasons for which you're asking are not correct. And he says, so that you may spend them on, on what you get on your own pleasures, things that will be bad for us. Nevertheless, God still wants to give us good gifts. The best way to get things from God is to get, ask God for things he already wants to give you. 
Listen to what it says in 1 John chapter 5 and verse 14 and 15. It says, this is the confidence that we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, what we ask, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we've asked of him. You can ask things of God that are according to his will, and he'll bring, he'll bring those things to pass. Do you notice I, I didn't equivocate? Do you notice I didn't qualify? Do you notice, well, you know, in the right, well, under this, well, but this has got to, there, there, are, there are sometimes some qualifications. But I tell you, when you ask for things according to the will of God, he will more than happily give you those things as you submit yourself to him. Do you know that God loves to be reminded of what he's promised? You know that I have often used illustrations of my father and, 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 and uh, uh, deeply miss dad and just things I did even today. I was thinking about my father. And um, I sometimes will, will tell stories that are very, um, uh, you know, they make my father sound very heroic. But, but dad worked a lot when we were uh, in, in our late, like let's say when I was maybe 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15 16 years old, times when I probably could have used to have my father around. He worked a lot, was gone a lot. I remember him getting three weeks vacation and taking three days. And it caused some resentment in the home, caused some, you know, a little bit of friction. My mother used to say he'd drive, my father sold milk and dairy products all his life. My mother say he drove 40 miles to sell a popsicle. You know, that's just the way he was. And we'd say, Dad, Dad, can, 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 could you take us fishing? And going fishing with Dad was an adventure because there was four of us. Or I had two brothers and he and I. And so, so there'd be four of us. And uh, we'd be going fishing. And there'd be one broken fishing pole between the four of us, you know. What an exciting time that would be. And, uh, and then, of course, you know, he'd have to, he'd have to go a very short time. And so a lot of times we'd ask, Dad, can you take us fishing? And, and, and he'd say, yeah. Someday, well, someday Muzzle said, you know, midway through the millennial reign of Christ, I'll take you fishing, because it wasn't going to happen anytime soon. And it was, it was a little bit frustrating. He didn't always respond to us the way we hope. And sometimes we'd get around to reminding him and say, Dad, but you, remember you said, remember, remember? And... Uh, Sometimes that would just be enough shame to get him to do what we kind of would like to have had him do. You know what? You don't have to shame God. But you do have to remind him. And I remind God not because he's forgotten. I remind God because he thinks enough of me to bring him into agreement with his agenda. When you remind him of what he already wants to do, you are coming into agreement with him and his agenda. The reminder is not to convince him to do it, but to join him in accomplishing his will. This is the key here, friends. He, has a, he, he thinks highly of you. Do you think of it? The God of the universe says, I want to partner with you. In fact, we've used oftentimes when we talk about prayer, we use this, this line, God can't if you won't. 
Do you realize that some of us could have things in our life that we do not have now, but we will not have them until we start to partner with God? We're expecting God to do something when God's saying, listen, I want you to remind me of my word. I want you to get, you, I want you to get my word so deeply um, entrenched in your life that you will, in fact, begin to remind me of it on a continual basis, so much so that you and I are now partnering toward the fulfillment of this promise. That's good news. So here's this deal. Think about how much God thinks about us, that he would, be, he would allow us to be a part of partnering with him in prayer. Your, you know, sometimes, sometimes it wouldn't be amazing if, if I were to say, well, you know, I, I don't like to brag and I hate to drop names, but Billy Graham and I were prayer partners. You know, or I, I named some other person. Very influential. Somebody we'd all know, and I'd say, we're prayer partners. Can I tell you that you are a prayer partner with the God of the universe for the things that are on his heart and his agenda? But you said, the kids would say. The kids would say that to me as a, as, when they were growing up. But Dad, you said. And you know what I'd do? I'd do it. Why? Because I said. But God is not a man that he lies. He's not a man that he forgets. He's not trying to weasel out of his promises. This is not God's character or heart. When God challenges us to pray, his heart, it's because he desires us to come into agreement with his desires and we'll partner with him. He's elected to partner with us. This is a revelation. Now, I want to take you to a portion of Scripture, and we, as we commonly do when I, when I, when I speak, we're going to read this together. Now, this room is not, has, doesn't have as many people as it normally has in it, so you're going to have to make up for people. And, and so that means you have to really lift up your voice. And, 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 and I'm not above pointing you out if you don't join me. All right? So we're going to go to Isaiah chapter 6. I'm going to read verses 1 through to 7. Yes, that's seven complete verses. Are we ready? Are we ready? Yeah, see, you have to kind of practice, okay? All right, so are you ready? Let's go. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. For Jerusalem's sake, I will not remain quiet till her vindication shines out like the dawn, her salvation like a blazing torch. The nations will see your vindication and all kings your glory. You will be called by a new name, that the mouth of the Lord will bestow. You will be a crown of splendor. Stop. The volume is very low here. We're reading some very good stuff. So let's lift it up. Are you ready? Come on. This is what God's saying now. You will be a crown of splendor in the Lord's hand, a royal diadem in the hand of your God, no longer will they call you deserted. Come on. <laughs> Come on. No longer are they going to call you deserted. Come on. This is, this is blessed. As the old preacher once said, the Lord don't bless me, I'll bless myself. But I'm telling you, I'm getting blessed. All right. No longer will they call you deserted. Come on. Are you ready? Or name your land desolate, but you'll be called Hepzibah and your land Beulah. For the Lord will take delight in you, and your land will be married. 
As a young man marries a young woman, so will your builder marry you. As a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so will your God rejoice over you. I have posted watchmen on your walls. Jerusalem, they'll never be silent day or night. You who call on the Lord, give yourselves rest and give him no rest until he establishes Jerusalem and makes her the praise of the earth. Oh, hallelujah. We could, we could preach a, a month of Sundays on that portion of Scripture. For Zion's sake, he says, I will, I will not keep silent. For Jerusalem's sake, I will not remain quiet till her vindication shines out like the dawn, her salvation like a blazing torch. God is going to work on behalf of his people. God is going to work on behalf of his people. God is going to work on behalf of his people. Amen. This is good news. He's going to work on behalf of his people. The nations will see your vindication and all kings your glory, and you will be called a new name that the mouth of the Lord will bestow. There's a new identity coming to you. The identity is one of victory. The identity is one of peace. The identity is one that makes those former things that were greater than you are now become smaller than you are. You will be a crown of splendor, in the Lord's hand, a royal diadem. Now think of it. He's going to make you a crown on his own head, and he's going to make you his diadem, which is a symbol of authority. Do you realize that you are a symbol of authority in the spirit realm? When you go to prayer, you're a symbol of authority. Hell has to take notice of you when you pray. Hell has to take notice of you when you get before God in prayer. When you get before God and you begin to bring those things. I tell you, hell doesn't say, well, I tell you what, <laughs> this is a joke. No, hell begins to tremble. Why? Because you're a diadem, which is a symbol of authority. You're a diadem in the hand of God in that troubled situation. God's going to vindicate you with a new name, a new identity. And it will be an indication of God's royalty. Every time you pray is an indication that Jesus Christ is Lord and King. No longer will they call you deserted, and no longer will they call you desolate. We'll have a new identity from our previous lives. See, you used to be deserted. You used to be desolate. But you'll be called Hepsalah, which means my delight is in her. My delight is in her. God is putting his delight in his people. And you'll also be called Beulah, which means married. Sweet Beulah land, sweet marriage. For the Lord will take delight in you, and your land will be married. As a young man marries a, a young woman, so your builder, that's God, capital B there, marry you, marries you. As a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so will your God rejoice over you. We are his bride. He's the promised groom. Now, let me just tell you something biblically. Every time you talk about, you see something about bride and groom in the scripture, remember that culturally we've got it backwards compared to what they had it in biblical times. In, in our day, it's the bride that takes the, 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 the kind of the, the main place, you know, nobody's supposed to wear white to the wedding, and, and she's, you know, whatever, and she spends all kinds of money and, and all that. And she's the center of attention. In the economy of God, it is the, bri it is the groom is the center of attention. 
And so when you see about a bride and a groom, it is the groom who takes the central place scripturally and biblically. He says, I posted watchmen over your walls. Jerusalem, they'll never be silent day or night. Prayer people, people who watch and warn will be dispatched to pray. I was talking to somebody this week, and they they told me, I have prayed for you for literally years, and I didn't even know they were praying for me. And yet I would go places, and I would would have... um, Wonderful experiences in God and, 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 and in preaching and things. And, and I would wonder, why, God, did you, did you meet me the way you've met me? And yet I can point to people all over the place who pray for me as I travel or pray for me as I minister in difficult situations. I'm going, That's not, this is not on the count of me. It's because there's some watchmen watching who are praying according to the will of God. Well, you who call on the Lord, give yourselves no rest. We're challenged to pray without allowing ourselves to rest. But we're also challenged to give him no rest. Give him no rest, the scripture says, until he establishes Jerusalem and makes her the praise of the earth. We are to remind God of his promises. We're to give him no rest, but God, you said... But God, you promised. You see, God invites you. Yes, he even commands you to remind him of his promises. The New American Bible says this, you are to remind the Lord, take no rest. That says in the New American Standard Bible, you who remind the Lord, take no rest for yourselves. And so here is the key to effective prayer. We find a promise that fits our situation or our aspirations that are aligned with his will and we build our prayer around it, asking God to honor what he's promised. That's the key. Finding Scripture that aligns itself with the will of God. Finding Scripture that aligns itself with the promises of God and the things that God has determined to do. Finding ourselves aligned with his agenda. Now, we don't, as we've said before, ask with impure motives, and James says we can have impure motives. But we pray to God who loves to treat his children with kindness. Prayers of faith filled with his word touch his heart. I tell you, friends, I've had people come to me, and, and, and maybe I, I, I've traveled there, and I've spoken, and then five years I go back, or ten years I go back, and they'll bring up something I said in a message. One of my children was telling me something this, uh, while she was home a, a week or so ago, and she was telling me some things that I said to her as a, 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 earlier on in her life, about ten years ago now. I said these things to her, and I have no recollection of saying them. And she was reminding me of things that I said. And I tell you, folks, it, did, it didn't make me go, well, you know, take a leap. No, I was going, really, I said that? And she said, yeah, I'll never forget that. How much more so does the God of heaven take notice when you begin to remind him using his own words? So I give you two keys. Number one, you will find These common promises primarily by reading God's Word. That's where you primarily find them. And I'll tell you a couple of stories about that in a bit. They are promises that everyone can have and apply to their situation. Everyone 
the scripture says in Joel, and then in Acts chapter 2, which by the way, the preacher in Acts chapter 2, Peter, is quoting from the book of Joel. He knew the word. He says, he says that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I want you to know something. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And so when I'm praying for a relative, I'll say, Lord, I ask you, cause them to call upon your name because everyone, Lord, you know, you know, Lord, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Lord, I know they're at their death door, but everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. I know they're sick and we don't know if they're going to make it or they've had an accident or they're far from you, God, in their darkest hour, according to your word, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And I remind God of it. Number two, you'll find them as they're made real to you by leaping out almost off the page while Holy Spirit makes it clear that this verse can be applied to you in your situation. How many have had that experience where you're reading along and all of a sudden, you know, it just seems like you're just reading and, you know, what's this got to do with the price of tea in China? But all of a sudden, something leaps out of the page. You see, that's a, that's a Pentecostal hermeneutic, by the way. We believe that God can actually speak uh, words of life to us from portions of Scripture that do not necessarily relate to what we're going through. Now, you have to be careful with that. Of course, you, we all know that. You know, the guy that's kind of depressed and flips open his Bible and says, you know, and puts his finger there and says, and Judas went out and hung himself. You got to be careful, okay? And he says, well, that can't be God. And then he flips over a page and puts his finger there and it says, go and do thou likewise. You know, I mean, you got to be careful with that. The final one, just because he, he knows those things can't be from God, and the final one he flips to, it says, whatsoever thou doest, do it quickly, you know. You've got to be careful. You've got to be careful. Having said that, we still believe that God can cause things to leap off of the word that will apply to our situation and change our destiny. In 2012, I've talked about this a, a couple sermons ago that I preached here, and I had the chairs. I don't know if any of you remember that. And I talked about the fear of death. In 2012, I, I, was, I, feel like, I felt like I was going to die, and I felt like I had missed my purpose. But I thank God I didn't stop reading the Word. Because I found in Psalm 138, verse 3, when I called, you answered. You made me bold and stout-hearted. What was I having? I was having heart attack symptoms. And as I would pray, I would say, oh God, you've made me bold. You've made me stout-hearted. And when I'd have those pains in my chest, oh God, you've made me bold. You've made my heart strong. You've made me stout-hearted. Stout and then I found in verse number eight in that same chapter, the Lord will fulfill his, promise, his purposes for me. The Lord, and I'd remind the Lord, I'd say, God, you said you'd fulfill your purposes for me. If you go to my Bible, I tell you, I have the dates written in there. I have them circled and with arrows and underlined and, and little sparkly things, and I have a little light there that flashes. I mean, it's amazing. Because why? It's, it's, it's God's promise to me on that. They leapt off the page. Now, now, if you want to get technical, that portion of Scripture really wasn't meant, you know, when that portion of Scripture, it wasn't thinking of Jowdry living in Indiana at the time. No, it, it, was, it, was, it was the psalmist writing about his own personal situation. But having said that, God caused those things to mean something to me that day that changed my thought patterns as I prayed. God, you're going to make me bold and stout-hearted. You're going to fulfill your purposes for me. 
Uh, this past summer, I, I met, I visited my mother with my brothers, and uh, I'm the tall one. And um, so there, there's mom, and she's 89. I called her this morning. They're having the same storm we're having. It started uh, about eight or nine, eight or nine o'clock, but off the church she went, and uh, she, you know she doesn't want to miss that that opportunity to complain. And so. Um, she, she'll get in church and she talks because she's deaf. She thinks everybody else is. And she'll say, why don't they turn up the lights? And, we'll go, and this is why I now live in the States. Anyway, um, she, she's, she's just a wonderful woman of prayer. And when I say that, I don't, I don't say, that, oh, she, you know, she prays. And, you know, she, I'm talking about she prays. And I'll say, well, Mom, what are you doing right now? And she'll say, well, I'm going to have my prayer time. And then and when I get my prayer time done, this is what I'm going to do. But there's one thing that my mother does consistently every day. And I remember she used to have her prayer time at 8.30 every morning, 8.30. And I'd be getting ready for school because school was just around the corner from us. And uh, it started at 9 o'clock. And my brother would start hassling me because he was such an idiot. And um, terrible man, terrible man. And... Um, uh, Thank God they had me. But anyway, and we would get in this big fight, and my mother would come out from praying, and her face would be all red, and there'd be tears in her eyes. And she would come out as if she just came from heaven, going to deal with two boys who came not from heaven. And I tell you, we didn't want to mess with mom's prayer time. And you know, as we get older, we never wanted to mess with mom's prayer times because of mom's prayer time where she spent literally hours and hours. I, I would say literally hours and hours and hours a week praying for her children and her family. In the late 1970s, my mother was going through a rough time. I was away at Bible college at the time. But my brothers were going through a rough time, and so she was going through a rough time. It was terrible. It was terrible relationship issues and things were going on. And there's a, it's a big, long story. I won't tell you the whole story, but I will tell you this, that as she prayed, she began to remind God of his promises. And the scripture that came to her was from Isaiah chapter 54 and verse 13. All of your sons will be taught by the Lord, and great will be their peace. There was turmoil. There was friction. There was unforgiveness. There was anger. There was bitterness. And she was weighed down by that. All of your sons will be taught by the Lord. And I remember my mother saying this to us, to my brothers and I. She would say, you boys are going to serve God because all of my sons are going to be taught by the Lord. And great will be their peace. And my children and my grandchildren are going to serve God because all of my sons will be taught by the Lord and great will be their peace. And she'd say, oh God, you promised me. It was a promise that you gave me. And she can give you the exact day. God, you promised me that all of my sons would be taught by the Lord and great will be their peace. I remember when we were in our church in Florida and, and, um, uh, we went there, and there was, a, there was a, a big debt, a big debt, a big, 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 big debt, big debt. And, 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 and they didn't, they didn't, it was interesting. All they did was pay interest. They didn't pay the, any principal down. It was driving me bananas. I remember we had this, 
this meeting one night, and we, we just were praying all around the property and praying over the church and, and, and praying over the ministries. And, and so I brought them all together. I said, so, so what has God said? God said, what, uh, how long will it be before we can get this debt paid? And one lady said, oh, I think it'll be, it, oh, I'm sure we can get it paid in 10 years. And I didn't, I didn't, I didn't hit her or anything. I didn't get mad. Because the Bible says, lay hands on no man suddenly. But, oh, boy, that really discouraged me. I said, we've got to do better than that. Now, remember, they weren't paying anything on the principal. They owed $429,000, and they just paid interest. That's all they did. So on a Sunday night, the Lord spoke to me, and he spoke to me from Matthew chapter 20 and verse 21. The Jesus replied, Truly I tell you, if you have faith and do not doubt, not only can you do what was done to the fig tree, but you can also say to this mountain, Go throw yourself into the sea, and it will be done. So on Sunday night, this is back when we used to have Sunday night services, we would get around the front. And I'd say, now let's pray against the debt. Now, the debt is an inanimate thing. It's just, it's just, it's just numbers. It's just stuff. I don't, I don't, how, how do you pray against a debt? But we'd get up there, and I'd say, now let's pray. Debt, go in Jesus' name. And so some of the people, they'd say, debt, go in Jesus' name. Now, some of the old, older people or some of the leaders of the church, uh, some of the, kind of the, the guys that have been doing with this for a long time, they just stand there. So I'd say, come on, let's pray, debt, go. And, of course, I'd embarrass a few more to say with me. And then I'd embarrass a few more. And finally, everybody got saying, debt, go. And I'd watch some of my deacons. They'd go, debt, go. You know, and they'd roll their eyes. But next Sunday night, we'd come together and we'd pray, debt, go, in Jesus' name. We're, we're spe- I don't know, how do, you, how, do you, how do you speak to just finances? But we'd say, debt, go, in the name of Jesus. We owe $429,000. Debt go in the name of Jesus. Debt go in the name of Jesus. Debt go in the name of Jesus. And in 29 months, 29 months, less than two and a half years, the 429,000 was gone in the name of Jesus. You can speak to mountains and mountains can go in the name of Jesus. But God spoke to us and gave us a word. And that can happen. Well, we must stop and you know we must. But wait, there's more. There's another amazing feature. Here's what we know. We know the Word. We, we, we study the Word, we, and then we find a verse, and we pray that Word. But you know what else happens? When we know the Word and we're in prayer, Holy Spirit will give us words that remind us of the Word when we're in prayer. It's not us coming to, the, coming to prayer with a Word. Now we're in prayer, and what happens? The word actually begins to be reminded of us. We say, I never can't remember studying that scripture. How many have had that experience where you can't remember studying a scripture, but all of a sudden it comes back to you? That's Holy Spirit reminding you of what you've already put in place. I remember walking along a lonely road one day. It was snow covered, and, it was just, and I was just feeling so overwhelmed. I'm thinking, well, maybe the best thing would be for me to die. This was many, many, many years ago. When the, uh, we only had two children at the time, just little small children. And maybe the best thing, you know, and, and maybe it would be best. And as I was walking along, I can never remember ever, ever committing this scripture to, to memory. But, of course, we say it all the time, and we repeat it sometimes. But as I was praying, I was just kind of down and kind of discouraged. And I remember these words, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow, of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. And, I, and that word came to me, and man, I began to shout that. 
As I walked along that, that country road, there's snowbanks everywhere, I began to shout, I'm walking to the valley of the shadow of death, but you're with me. I will not fear. 26 years ago, we came to America, and, 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 and we, we came 26 years ago in, in February, and we were coming, and, and we were going through the wilderness called the airline. It's called number nine. It goes through the wilderness in Maine, not on the interstate, but in through the wilderness because it took so many um, miles off the trip. And as we were going down the highway, this guy behind us was flashing his lights. It almost looked like the police were behind us, like I was driving too fast. I pulled over, and he got in company. He said, you, you don't realize this, but one of your wheels on your trailer, that was all of our possessions were in this little trailer, and we're going to Miami, Florida. Bless God, we're going to go to Miami. And so we, he said, one of your wheels, is, and we were basically just pulling the wheel along. It was just burning up. And our trailer would have caught fire if he hadn't stopped us. And so what happened was the little cap came off and the grease all went out everywhere and so there's no more grease and the thing just seized up. And so we called AAA and we're, you know, we're on our way to Miami, Florida, man. We, were, we couldn't stop. AAA had to come, take us into Bangor, Maine. And then, and then we get into Bangor, Maine and I, we didn't have any money. I mean, you know, so I went and, I, I went and found a place and he took us to a place where we'd get some parts. He'd given me car parts. <laughs> Why would you give me car parts, you know? And uh, so anyway, I, one guy came out and he said, "Well, here's what you got to do. You got to get that old that, that old thing off." And it was it was fused on, it was burnt on, and uh, and so we had to jack up the had two jacks, and we jacked up the the trailer. And Nathan, our seven year old son, was over there, and he was placing them, and and I was doing something. I was trying to hit them off. All of a sudden, the jacks gave way and come crashing down, and Nathan was underneath. And I started to holler, and he said, I'm all right, Dad, I'm all right, Dad. And he just crawled out of this little spot. And all day long, I worked. What would have took probably a mechanic half an hour. And I worked, and I got those, those ball bearings off, and those things that were fused around. It was about 5 o'clock in the afternoon. And, of course, I called my father, and my father said, well, what are you going down there at the United States for anyway? I'll tell you, I'll be right down there and get you. I said, well, I'm not sure that would be the wisest thing, Dad. So what we did is we started to pray. So there was Nathan, who was the oldest. He was seven or eight. And there was Ruth and I and, and uh, the girls. And we were praying. So we came to the end and we said, well, did anybody get a word from the Lord? What are we supposed to do? Ruth, what do you think? And she, uh, I don't know. So I said to Nathan, I said, well, I don't have anything. And the girls, they were just kind of standing there because they were younger, you know. So I said to Nathan, I said, what did you get? He said, the Lord says, go ye. Now, friends, when Jesus said go ye in Matthew chapter 28, he wasn't talking about us being in Bangor trying to get to Miami to start our lives in the United States of America. And he wasn't thinking about some people with a broken down trailer, and he wasn't thinking about my, us necessarily when that was said. But as we prayed, God gave us a word through a seven-year-old boy. We put, that, we put that new wheel on there. That thing was ready to go. We, put that on the, we hooked that trailer on. We drove, and we kept on driving. And finally, we got to Miami, Florida, where we lived for many years because the word of the Lord came to us in prayer. And that's what will happen to you. 
those, that word of the Lord will not come to you in prayer unless you are in the word of the Lord to begin with. You see, if he hadn't ever heard, go ye, he would never be able to quote, go ye, and give us a word to the family. Now, friends, if that happens in your family, don't all of a sudden think your son has become a prophet and, you know, and, and now you have to listen to everything they say. Because once we got to Miami and we're driving down U.S., we're coming down to 95 and you, 95 ends up into U.S. 1 and we're going through the city. I turned around just to see what was going on. Of course, he had the trailer behind me. I turned around to see what was going on in the back seat. And there was my son, the one who gave the prophetic word from the Lord with a, with, with, with a realistic gun pointing it at cars going by. I said, son, this is not the place. This is not the place to use a gun and point it at cars. You know they're doing a, a, a you, you, know, you know this, right? I mean, Broward County, Dade County, they're now stopping all the cars to see if you've got weapons between the two, 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 two counties when you drive through. They stop your car now and they check to see if you've got weapons. If you don't have one, they give you one. So it's very important. If we read and pray God's word, his words will come back to us in prayer as a promise and a prophetic declaration. You pray the word, and the word will pray through you when you need it most. Oh, so many illustrations of this, but we're going to stop. Last week, pastor said this, the word of God is a seed of today that produces the fruit of tomorrow. You see, you'll never get to the point where you can pray God's word unless you're reading God's word. And you'll never get to a point where those prophetic words from heaven will come to you in prayer from God's word unless you're reading God's word. It starts with us making a commitment. And again, I, I, I hate saying this because it sounds like I'm patting myself in the back. I'm not, because really, the, the, this is what I should have been doing. This is what I, and, and many, many, I've read the scripture, but there was this, that period of time when four years ago when I just come off of a two-year period where I just never read the Bible. I just, here I was, a preacher, and you know, blah, blah, blah. But I, I, I mean, I would just go home, and, and some of you know the story, it's a little more complicated when I'm making it, but I would just kind of go home and, you know, blah, 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 you know, all night long, and it was just, I just, I just, and one day I said, that's enough. That's enough. You're a man of God. You should be in the Word. And I'd read the, I'd read this, you know, I'd read the Bible through many, many times before, but this just period of time. And, and by God's grace, in the last four years, I've missed reading the Word 11 times, 11 days in four years. I'm not saying that because you can say, isn't Jodry wonderful? I'm saying that it's possible. You can do this. You can do this. It's, it's possible. The, the key is not, the, the question is not whether it's, it's doable. The question is whether you're going to do it. But I tell you, you'll be able to pray God's word when you know God's word. You'll be able to get a prophetic revelation into God's word and into prayer when you pray and you live and you're in God's word. And so as, a, as you leave today, you're going to get something which we call the, the, the scriptural bell. The scriptural bell. Where are my bells? Where are these scriptural bells? You got them, brothers? Start handing them out to these dear folks some of them need these things. And I've left some of them uh, of, of the scriptures that I've used today on the back of those things. And uh, you can start praying these things. That's right, brother. Maybe you can get a, yourself a hand, yes. And somebody else would tell you. That is so wonderful. Hand them out. And, and in this, you just begin to use these things. Can I have one, please? So I can show 
people what I'm talking about. Yeah, that's so kind of you, brother. Thank you. And so what we have here, and I have some scriptures on the back, and, uh, but this is just a scriptural bell, what we call a scriptural bell, and it basically is a reminder of who you are in Christ. But one of the ways you use this, as you get this, one of the ways you use this is you begin to remind God of who you are in him. Again, God knows who you are in him, but now you're coming into unity with his purpose. So, I am a child of God. So, Lord, you, I thank you that I am your child today as I pray. I am a Christ's friend. God, I thank you that you and I are friends, that we're not enemies. We're not, we're not at war one with another. I thank you that I'm united with the Lord. Lord, I thank you that we are not only have of, of, of similar purposes, but we're actually united together. You know the scripture says, unless two can walk together, you know, they have to be agreed. I, I am bought with a price. Lord, I thank you that you purchased me already. I am belong to you. You see how you use the word? Would somebody just give me a grunt? Would, is this, see how you wor- use the word? And so you use God's word. Some of them at the bottom. It says, um, I am his co-worker. I am your workmanship. I am confident uh, uh, that the good works God has begun in me will be perfected. I have been redeemed and forgiven. I am adopted as a child of God. These are things that you remind the Lord of. Now, my colleagues are coming back. The, the come on, Troy time is now. Okay? And then I gave you some scriptures in the back. Now, notice these scriptures in the back. Very, right down at the end, I, 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 the third one from the bottom is one I wanted to mention to you. In peace I will lie down and sleep, for you alone make me dwell in safety. I want us to read that together. It's a third from the bottom on the other side of the bell. Are you ready? In peace I will lie down and sleep, for you alone, Lord, make me dwell in safety. How many of you struggle sleeping? Okay, I do. Unless I'm in church and then I find, man, I can get a real good rest. You know. How many know you can use portions of Scripture like that? Lord, I thank you, your word says. As you, as you try to close your eyes at night, Lord, I thank you, your word says. In peace, I lie down and sleep. For you alone, Lord, will make me dwell in safety. How many are ready to pray God's word? Isn't that great? Come on, how many are ready to pray God's word? I'm telling you, God's given you a promise. He's given you some things that you'll, you can latch onto. And he, listen, the promises of God are yes and amen to them that what? Doubt, fear, never read the word. No, the promises of God are yes and amen to them that believe. So we choose to believe. We are believing believers, and as we pray, we pray the word. But you can't pray the word unless you're in the word. How many will say to me, I'm, I'm making a, a brand new commitment. If, if you already have the commitment, then just say, yeah, I, I just, I'm going to keep on doing it. All right? How many say I'm gonna, making a brand new commitment all over this place, all over this place, all over this place? I'm making a brand new commitment to be a, to be a man and a woman of God's word. It makes a difference. Changes lives. Changes destinies. I ask that my colleagues who are leading to lead in that song we sang this earlier, always. My God will come through, always. And I love the portion of this song that says, your promises are true. God's promises are true. So let's do it. Sister.